SOAS Radio. Hello and welcome to SU Voice Box episode 9. It's been a bit of a while, actually almost kind of two months, and that's because we've been having the strikes and lots of stuff going on, which means, yeah, there's lots of things to catch you up on. So it's a really beautiful sunny day in April, and I am joined in the studio by all four co-presidents. So I'm going to be the host today. My name is Hannah Short. I'm the Students' Union Governance and Communications Coordinator, and in the studio with us today are Nisha, Mehdi, Dimitri, and Halima. So, just going to catch you up a little bit on all the things that have been happening. Since we were last in the studio, we had the Students' Union elections. So they had to be rescheduled because of the strikes, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. But with the elections, we also ended up having a slightly lower turnout than normal, which we were kind of anticipating because of the strikes and also because it snowed, which was pretty weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Also really fun, but also, again, you know, had an impact on the strike as well as on the election turnout. So we've now got a new cohort elected for next year so they'll be coming into their positions on the 1st of July. Elections this year were a bit intense and we actually had to delay the announcement of some of the positions because we had a number of complaints that were lodged which ended up resulting in a disqualification but we've now announced all the positions and yeah we'll be welcoming them into the office on the 1st of July. So in addition to elections, another thing that we had was the UCU strike, which I'm sure you are all aware of. Just a little recap, last time we were here in the studio, uh, that was just before we were actually going to have the first kind of days of the strike, and that's when the trustees of SOAS Students' Union had voted on agreeing to close the Students' Union in solidarity with the UCU strikers for the first five days. And following those first five days, we then had another couple of days of university that was open as normal. And on the open days, we decided to have another meeting with the trustees to kind of review on what had been going on and decide what to do moving forward with the rest of the strike days. So that took place and the trustees met and also consulted the shop and bar staff who would be affected by the decision that was taken within that trustees meeting. So we met, talked about it and voted to remain closed in solidarity with the UCU strikers. So that happened. The whole strike was 14 days and really supportive strike. Lots of people turned up and were on the picket lines every day. It continued, you know, all through different kinds of weather. There was snow on lots of the days. It was really chilly. There were lots of teach outs, lots of sambaing. There were a couple of barbecues. And so that kind of happened. And then as I'm sure you're aware, on the last day of the strike, there was a hard picket. So this hard picket was organized by an autonomous group of students and it took place. And as a result of this, there were a number of complaints lodged to the school and are kind of things that are being processed at the moment. So obviously this is quite a contentious issue and that kind of like led to the UGM that happened the following week, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Because obviously there's like lots of different opinions about the strike and about the hard picket in particular, we kind of opened it up to students to ask if anybody had any questions for the Students' Union that we could address in this episode. So I'm gonna read those out and we're gonna have a chance for the people here in the studio to respond to them. So one of the questions that we had was, why is the SU not letting students hold them to account? Do you want to start, Halima? I think that's a really interesting and and important question, so thank you for for asking it. Um, I think we've 
I mean, we, we, we gave students the opportunity to hold us to account via the UGM and it was a wonderful UGM in that so many people showed up and participated and engaged. Um, there was a motion of no confidence which fell, um, which obviously shows that not all students take the same position in relation to, you know, wanting to hold their, the SU to account. But also we have to think about what how people conceptualise the SCU, it's not just the sabbatical offices, there are multiple members of the student union who make up the exec team and trustees and, um, and you know, we make decisions together individually and collectively at times. Um, so I think we need to think about how we think, how we think the SCU runs. Um, it's not just sabbatical offices, just taking decisions. But regardless, um, that happened, the motion fell and I guess we get to stay on and do our jobs. <laughs> but the most important thing is that obviously we don't want you to feel isolated and disengaged and disillusioned. If you do feel as though there are ways that we can improve, then we'd welcome you to come and speak to us. We're always in the office. Um, we'd love to hear tips, ways of improving. And I think that's really, self-reflection is of course is important. And it's, the UGM in itself has made us think a lot. Um, yeah, and we welcome you to do that. Just for a bit of context, the UGM took place on the 23rd of March. It was actually very historic, both this year and just in the history of South Students' Union. Um, we had 400 people attend, which is definitely the most that we've had this year. <laughs> um, and it ended up lasting for five hours, which I'm assured by Peter Barron is the kind of record <laughs> length of time for a UGM. Um, and yeah, we discussed a number of motions, I think about seven or eight, uh, and among them was one of a vote of no confidence, which, as Halimo just mentioned, kind of was, like, very <coughs> hotly debated. Mm. The motion ended up turning into one about whether or not to have a vote of no confidence run through an online referendum that would go out to all students. But then at the end of the day, um, that was voted on by students, and that fell. So that's, that's not going to take place now, and that fell quite strongly. So the vote ended up being... Um, 180 people voting against that uh, to 128 pe people voting to do that. So that was the UGM. Another question that we had from students was, why is the SU acting like a rogue entity whereby they dismiss and intimidate all those with grievances? Can I answer this one? Um, I think it's a really interesting question in that it brings up what people think, people's conceptualizations of the students' union, what people think the students' union is, and Halimo touched on this a little bit already. A lot of people, I think, during this period have conflated the students' union with the four sabbatical offices. For me, the students' union is is all of its members, right, which is all of the students at SOAS. So it's, it's weird when you say it's acting like a rogue entity. I hope that it's acting like a rogue entity. I hope that we're campaigning. I hope that we're opposing um, elements of society's structures and systems that we dislike and that we want to change. I would hope that we can, as best as possible, take decisions collectively. So when we have high engagement with our democratic processes, that, that is more and more possible. Um, I guess there is al always a question of how well any structure can function when it has a democratic uh, when it has representative democracy and um, and by this I mean the fact that we have four elected co-presidents who are kind of seen as leaders or take on taking on leadership roles within the students union which is how I think this conflation between the students union and the sabbatical offices arises but I don't necessarily think that there should be such a hierarchical 
distinction between us and all of the other members of the Students' Union. I mean, we're here, I hope, to help facilitate projects, campaigns, help support students in the ways that we can, but not here to hopefully determine what students do in their time at SOAS. That's, that's never what I would seek to do in this role. Cool. So um, the next question that we have is, why did some SU co-presidents vote against having a referendum to hold them to account? Um, I can try taking this one. Um, I think everyone in the uh, UGM, the Union General Meeting, uh, where there was a vote of no confidence, heard uh, the debate, participated in the debate uh, if they so wished, and uh, made an informed decision following like the cases that were presented for and against. Uh, I can speak for why I voted against the motion. Uh, for me, it was because I had had a very genuine feeling that a lot of the concerns and grievances that were being aired would 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 need the support of a of a student union of student uh, sabbatical officers and representatives to actually resolve those complaints or take them to the school and advocate for more support for specific uh, specific groups of students and spending time on uh, doing an online uh, referendum at a time when a lot of students aren't on campus uh, and busy uh, with a lot of different assignments would essentially drain our energy in the SU for another week because we'd already spent an entire week very concerned about the vote of no confidence and and what it what it meant uh, for the work that we've been trying to do this year and so spending another week or two directing our uh, emotional energy uh, towards worrying about a vote of no confidence was simply a a task that I didn't feel was fair for either myself, my fellow co-presidents, or uh, indeed the students that we work for. And so that's why I voted against the the vote of no confidence Mm. referendum. So my understanding of this question also is it's kind of kind of in itself as a form of criticism of UGMs as like an effective democratic process mm. and kind of indicating that the pers- well this is again my interpretation of this question that perhaps an online referendum would be more democratic or fair. I don't know if you also think that that's what it's about. I I also take that on board as a legitimate suggestion again kind of some people uh, requested if the UGM itself could be kind of made an online voting thing because obviously UGMs are limited in lots of ways because it's only the people who can show up mm-hmm. and who do show up who get a say versus if you do it online or you know in a way that means that people who can't physically be there can participate that's perhaps like more democratic again this is like also something that we're we're really thinking about um and we're moving into a time kind of in the coming weeks and months of looking at uh, UGM reform and just kind of democratic reform within the union of how to improve it. Just on the idea of online voting and, and bringing it towards like engagement in politics and making politics more and student politics, RSU politics precisely, more uh, inclusive and empowering to people who are generally marginalised both in our community and in society. I think it's important to recognise the fact that online voting is 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 simply a tool and it does tend to actually it can actually reinforce the the wider exclusionary dynamics of electoral politics as opposed to actually empower people to participate um and i think it's very important to 
both analyze what's gone on in other students' unions, because a lot of students' unions have adopted uh, electronic voting for uh, motions and, and union democracy aside from elections. But uh, the, the point on engagement and involvement and empowering of uh, communities who are disadvantaged and marginalised is a point that cannot be taken lightly and it's a point that cannot be solved by simply a, t- a technological change, right? It, it, it is about discrimination, it is about marginalisation, it's about fighting that and creating the spaces for people to, to be able to, to fight that. And I think simply saying online voting is going to solve this is a really a disservice to uh, progressive politics and the engagement of people who've been marginalised by electoral politics and by voting as a, as a system. And so I I feel the the conversation needs to be a lot more complex and a lot more nuanced and a lot more empowering as opposed to simply driven by like, oh, the latest technology, because I feel that will do a uh, a huge disservice to students in the, the years to come. Can I add something to that? I think a really important question within this is what do people mean when they say they want the SU to be more democratic or they want they want any structure or you know, system that they're a part of to be more democratic. I think that we are very focused at the moment on on voting because it's the democratic option that's often given to us through elections. In the SU at the moment, we have voting for UGMs. You know, you're used to sort of raising your hand in favour of one thing over another. But that, as Dimitri's saying, does not necessarily mean that that's the most democratic way of taking decisions. And that's why we're having a look at the moment into reforming the UGM system at, within the Students' Union at the moment, but also taking a look at what at all the ways in which we take decisions as a Students' Union and thinking about what really democratic decision-making looks like. Um, We hope that we can include more students in this discussion because obviously it's not just about what we think, it's about what everyone thinks democracy means. But hopefully this is something that we can develop over the few final months of this academic year and then going forward, something for the next year's sabbatical team to also take up. Thank you so much. I also think that, you know, it's not a question that has easy answers. And this is something that people and so students union in particular, wider society as a whole have been kind of thinking about and grappling with for a long time. And, you know, and it's also kind of ever changing with the development of technology and the usage of that kind of thing and having that as a tool and wanting to utilize that tool effectively, but also in a way that kind of, as Dimitri said, kind of empowers people and continues to engage them. And that doesn't become a kind of numbers game of just trying to get the most number of votes and kind of counting that as engagement. Um, So just trying to have um, nuanced thinking about that. Cool. So um, the next question that we have why were all students not balloted if they want to support recent teacher strike action? Is the students' union representative? Only 10% of SOAS students voted in electing union officials, uh, many of which had only one candidate. Is the students' union therefore dictatorial and can be likened to a one-party state? You um, haven't answered yeah. a question yet. <laughs> Sorry, it's so hard. So, uh, hello, my name is Mehdi. Just to, if those of you who don't know my voice, um, I think it's a very good question, surprisingly, um, because it's it's showing to me, and maybe this is give me giving some bias, it's showing to me that students are actually taking this debate and this issue very seriously, and they want to make sure that their voice is heard. They want to make sure that they are they are feeling empowered. In from our view, and I think we've tried to make this as clear as possible, is that we do he- we are here for the students. We are here working for the students. The union is only as strong as each member, and that is what ultimately we're trying to empower. Are we a dictatorship? There's going to be elements of any organisation that people are going to be frustrated with. There's going to be decisions that are taken that people will like to counter and like to 
represent a different voice and that is what we are all about. We are here to empower each student and if they think that we are acting as very rogue and, you know, uh, on our own accord, they ha have every right to call us out and they have done that and they have held us to account and that is the beauty of it is that we have been held to account in the UGM and through various different conversations. For me, the UGM is just the icing on the cake. We have an open door policy in the office which allows for every student to come in and believe it has happened for the past nine months <laughs> in this job and it's been one of the most um, crucial elements um, that I have taken in personally because it's been a, a very, very big um, learning learning curve in order to being able to deal with students on such a, you know, um, front end of house, you know, it's not really an easy skill. And at the end of the day, we are trying our best. Um, I think everyone can see that. Those of who can't see that um, have every right to disagree with the decisions that are carried out and rightly so and we encourage you to do that please <laughs> provide a, a, an alternative if you think there are spaces for that if you think there are some decisions that could be you know improved that is what we're all about um we we won't really run away from a debate and we encourage students to join the debate and um, we understand though that now it is essay season and exams and we were students as well and we are still students so it's it's a lot about trying to prioritize what you think is the most important thing in, in your in your SOAS experience or your SOAS journey and trying to just get all the good that you can out of the Students' Union because it's ultimately what we're here to do, we're here to serve. So just get involved and if you disagree, disagree and just mm. come say it to our face, innit? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> say it to our face. But, yeah, more than anything, is that I kind of get the a general sense of what this person's trying to convey through this question, but also I think it's incredibly bizarre to refer to the Students' Union as a one, was it a one-party system? Mm. I mean, and also like, I mean, the, the fact of 10% of people having voted to elect us is kind of a non-issue in my mind because that vote was open to every single student and they have every single ability or capacity to engage in that voting process. The same way that if you're unhappy with what you see, you, you're able to run and stand yourself. We have mul multiple views within the Students' Union, or I mean, when I say Students' Union, I'm also re referring to the exec or even, you know, Spatakloffs's. And yeah, like Mehdi said, like engage in that. If you're unhappy with what you see, start up a campaign, run for run in elections. I mean, that's all that we can really ask you to do. There's not much we can, yeah, say. Mm. Also, the question, the question kind of says, why were students not balloted if they want to support this teacher strike action? Mm. So if I remember correctly, there was kind of a UGM yeah. scheduled to discuss this, um, but it was cancelled because I think only about four people showed up. Um, Dimitri, yeah. Um, and just to add, when we did have the union general meeting that was packed on the 23rd of March, after, as Hannah mentioned, several attempts to put motions to previous Union General meetings. The 23rd of March Union General meeting also discussed a motion of solidarity with the um, UCU strike and the motion was amended, but then it passed overwhelmingly. It is a motion of solidarity with the UCU industrial action. So when we finally did have a vote with a lot of people there, in the procedures that we have as part of our students' union uh, democratic procedures, flawed as they are, and uh, this is part of the discussion that we've had today, when when that vote did happen with a, a packed JCR, there was an overwhelming majority of students that voted in favour of mm -hmm. solidarity. 
And the last thing to add is that, so we, in the Students' Union, we have kind of weekly executive committee meetings, as well as trustees meetings, um, kind of a few times a term. And obviously we had them about this issue. And just to kind of combat the one-party state point is that there are there is like a diverse range of opinions within the executive committee it's definitely not there were a lot of heated debates about this and it was never actually certain and completely clear that this is actually how it was going to go so you know and and we do have minutes of those meetings perhaps like the minutes also don't really convey the kind of tensions that are that exist in the room but the people who sit on the executive committee who are the same people who are the trustees are people who are you know are elected by the student body and of course have this range of opinions that reflects some of the range within the student's body of course impossible because otherwise there would have to be the entire student body sitting on that committee but yeah definitely not all voices in the room were kind of singing from the same hymn sheet So yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I think uh, maybe a lot of students don't know about these internal processes because they're not super clear and it's hard to like have a deeper understanding of that. Mm. Um, So the next question is, do you think tactics of intimidation by picket liners who forced student solidarity is acceptable? (laughs) I don't really know what to say to that. Um, There are multiple ways to foster solidarity. And of course, for some people, a hard picket isn't one but also um, solidarity isn't contingent upon whether there's like a picket or not. It's some. Um, it's a feeling. It's a. It's a. It's it's not in any way um, transactional. So it has nothing to do with the picket. It has something to do with your own position and something, you know, that you decide to take upon yourself. So I don't. Was the question about the hard picket? What was it again? Yeah. So it says. I think it was talking in reference to the hard pickets. Do you think tactics of intimidation by picket liners who force student solidarity is acceptable? I mean, it wasn't about forcing solidarity. It was about a show of solidarity. Prior to that, there had been soft pickets, which were more a symbolic show of solidarity by asking students to not enter the building. On that day, it was a more literal physical show of solidarity which for some students was a way for them to express their own solidarity wasn't a way of forcing solidarity upon others and again those were autonomous students who decided to organize and yeah there were some SU members who were on the picket line as well who made that decision based on their own individual politics I mean it's a pretty it's a it's a difficult question because there there's not one answer in there like multiple ways in which we can approach this but um, again well, I think all, all I can do is reiterate the fact that your sense of solidarity is something that you own it's not something that could be forced upon you or molded or changed so I don't think that's what the picket liners were trying to do or have been doing for the past you know for the the duration of the strike period. So the question also in brackets, I should have read this out, actually says, so do you think tactics of intimidation by picket liners who in turn force student solidarity, brackets, by people being scared to cross the picket line is acceptable? So talking about how um, the hard picket has been interpreted by some, well, yeah, to be scaring technique to stop people from crossing could physically. I, could I answer that a little bit? Sorry, you <laughs> looked like you were kind of ready to go back. It's just more as in I wanted to say that, you know, 
this kind of thing about intimidation harassment is something that we heard during the soft pickets as well which was and those were just lecturers and you know PhD students and some students politely asking people to not go into the building and like of course intimidation harassment is an incredibly serious allegation and will be taken seriously by the students union but there is a sense of and I all I can do is be brutally honest about it. There is a sense of shame that comes with crossing a picket line and that's because of the historical significance and the context and what it means to cross a picket line. At the same time, I think it's wrong to warp that and then project a sense of shame and guilt and make it seem as though you've been harassed or intimidated. Perhaps you have. And again, those instances and cases that will be taken incredibly seriously by the Students' Union. However... There are also times where people are unable to, to face the guilt and shame of crossing a picket line and refer to it as something else. And I don't know, I'm, I might just leave it there um, before I get into something quite more deeper. Um, yeah. I think I just wanted to speak a little bit to kind of my own experience of standing on the picket line because throughout those 14 days of strikes, I stood on them usually at least once a day for a few hours and, you know, generally had the same message around are you aware that it's a strike day would you be able to study in an alternative space um, we have a list of alternative spaces for me these aren't particularly intimidating things to say but I do think that some students as Lima was saying kind of interpreted it that way and for their own reasons sometimes I think it's guilt and shame sometimes I think it's just the fact that they you know really felt the need to access those spaces which I maybe is something is difficult to reconcile mm. for me personally just because I didn't feel the need to access those spaces because I saw the strike and being on the picket line and showing solidarity by not crossing the picket line is more important than accessing the space on those days. But maybe also because your situation is different mm. and, and people do have like their own reasons. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I also want to say is that, <coughs> I mean, the picket lines had people on the most days. Some days there were a lot more people on the picket line. Some days there were a lot less. But... By far, the most telling thing for me was that so few students did choose to come into the campus on those days. And they chose to show their solidarity by studying in other spaces. If you went to the prep by Russell Square Station, it was just packed with mm. SOAS students studying together. Mm. And I think that was another real expression of solidarity that people mm. chose to not come into campus. And they did their studying in other places as well mm. during the strikes. And, sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, Hannah raised a really great point which is that of course there are some students who have to use the facilities and of course no one is going to go out of their way to stop someone doing that and I, you know, I've had conversations with students after the UGM who were like greatly affected or felt greatly affected by the pickets because you know they had no other option or alternative place to study even though you know we went out of our way to like create alternative um, study spaces lists but like to those students I just like i like to perhaps say sorry if they do feel that way but it's more as in I don't regret being on a picket line it's more as in I'm sorry that they felt like that and we'd uh, there might be strikes coming in the near future and if there are ways that we could like think through how to make it more less stressful like or like accessible for those students then I'd be like more than willing to like sit down and speak with them and mm. yeah think those things through. I just wanted to also say um, it goes without saying how kind of important this past month and the strike season has been and I think we can't really fully comprehend its importance in this current time frame and to me that's what is so striking because it is an attack on the future of education it is an attack on lecturers and it's happened in such an interesting way that 
sadly it has seemed to split the student community and that's just one, what I think this question is alluding to because it's, it's, it's triggering this of okay you are is it is it okay to adopt tactics of intimidation or you know it's 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 twist it's looking at the 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 issue in a very very you know narrow and quite um i'd say dangerous way um because it overlooks the complexity of the issue and the kind of overarching implications that it's going to have do i condone actions of intimidation never will does anyone i don't really think anyone will openly admit that it's it's more about it's not intended as acts of intimidation, rather it's a political um, you know, statement and it's a show of support. Do, does everyone agree with it unanimously and uni- universally? Clearly not. It's now how do we channel that energy into the actual perpetrators of this issue and how can we utilize the support that this debate has gathered in order to infect, uh, inflict real change? educators, UCU members are still nervous. This is what we need to remember. So, I mean, for me, it's just quite interesting that this moment has happened the past, you know, 14 days of strike or however they want to be remembered, you know, the first round of strikes or, you know, the the, the standoff of picketers versus non-picketers and whatnot and all of that. <laughs> I think for me, what's really important is to kind of look at the overarching implications this will have on the future of higher education in the UK and kind of just make sure that students fully understand what's going on and that they can manipulate this moment in order to gain something that's going to help them and, you know, serve them and serve future generations of students. I mean, we can't be self-centered here. We can't be apathetic enough to say, yeah, this is just about me now. I mean, we totally understand that and I, I completely understand that. I didn't really agree too much with the tactics enforced and I think that's kind of known amongst the circles that it needs to be known amongst and it's 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 important to realize that this is a bigger issue than we fully understand it and I think as long as we're emphasizing that point and we are trying to get to the root of the issue then we should be in good hands and it will it will all be sunny and happy by the end of it that's 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 the point um just to to speak on that point of bigger issues and and um uh, especially for the students that Nish and Halima have been speaking about, who've genuinely felt that they didn't have support, didn't have space, didn't have the the material necessities that they need to, to, to study or go about their lives as a result of everyone putting their attention to the strike action, to the picket lines. That sort of lack of support doesn't come from nowhere, right? It doesn't come from the strike action. It doesn't come from... It might have been intensified and what the strike action definitely did is like where there is a lack of support, the institution, by by focusing so much on trying to just keep the doors open and say everything's fine Mm -hmm. and send bizarre, vague emails to all students and again, directing their energies towards just comms as opposed to resolving the dispute and and supporting students with with special uh, learning needs and, and other support. The institution again has been has been continuing like a pattern of failures that it's been doing even before the strike started, and I think that's like these are the issues that we've been trying to work on and and, and tackle as a students' union from before the strike started, and now and and the next sabbatical officer team and the next exec and the next and the students who come in the next years will also be challenging these issues and trying to find p- proper support and push the university to implement its duty of care at all times. But I think the the failings that we've seen over the past few months and the fact that they've been attributed to the strike, I think the, the strike action has intensified the lack of support that might have existed before mm-hmm. from the institution towards certain groups of students. And, and that's 
because the management sees it more important to mitigate the impact of the strike generally as opposed to actually support students on a day-to-day basis regardless of what's going on in the institution. Mm. Mm. And I also just wanted to mention that, you know, no one, and a lot of lecturers and tutors have said this, no one wants to be out on the picket lines. People want the dispute to be resolved. I mean, we stood in the rain and the snow and, like, sub-zero temperatures, and it's unfortunate. It's 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 something that can't be helped, but it's conversations that are being had within UCU, like whether picket line is as effective or there are other strategies or techniques that could be used to, to you know, try and resolve this dispute. But for now, you can't separate a lecturer or tutor's labour from... It's intrinsically li- linked to a student's experience, so... but. Like maybe it's just worth saying that yeah this this sort of stuff is being thought about yeah and just that there's like not really any other choice apart from striking and they've just kind of been forced to this point so we do have a couple last questions <laughs> well, I'm going to combine them because they're kind of very similar one of them is why hasn't SOAS admin and SOAS SU done more to mobilize support for compensation especially when international students are paying literally thousands of pounds and the next one is talking about how why is it that we're in solidarity with the lecturers who are kind of coming at it from the economic loss that they face versus the students who are also kind of facing an economic loss and that perhaps the students are actually more vulnerable because they don't actually even have jobs or pensions to fight for as compared with the lecturers who do. So it's quite a big question and we're mm. running out of time. Mm. Let me let me let me let me let me let me jump yeah. in and say, and say one thing. I mean I think to look at it from an I'm an economic student and to say we're just looking at it from an economic perspective isn't just about the numbers. It's 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 a lot more deep rooted in that. And to say it's just financial implications, no they're not. An attack on the pension of educators is an attack on education system itself is deeper than just to say, Oh, they're gonna be paid less, they'll deal with it. No, it's that that's also going to affect the quality of teaching. That's going to affect the time and dedication that educators can put into their role and put into the profession that they love and they have spent their whole life trying to develop so uh, we, we need to we need to look at it at a, on a more broad level because to look at it in such a such a minuscule you know discussion of economics of it and the money um it, it kind of takes away from the issue and i think students if they feel that that is a keen, uh, a strong issue for them, they should go to court. They should mobilize against the institutions to pay them back. And why not? We are fighting for a free education at the end of the day. And we, we, we support that in all forms. And if it means that the university and the institutions that are capitalizing on all, and exploiting this, this labor, they should pay back. Why not? So if students do feel strongly about that, then... I think they they it will be made more into a thing, and I've, we've already seen the debates and discussions that have been happening. There's already um, court hearings, not court hearings, but you know, mobilisation around this aspect. So I think it's definitely something for students to consider if it's that strongly. Mm. I think I just want to add that you know I can only speak for myself, but I care really deeply about this education system. I'm sure you guys will do as well, but everyone really cares deeply about this education system, and I think that from what I've seen, particularly during the strikes, but generally during my degree program, is that it's not really fit for purpose at the moment. And I think a lot of people are feeling angry right now. But I think a lot of that anger also stems from the fact that there is a dissatisfaction in the way that higher education currently functions. I mean, domestic undergraduate students paying £9,250 per year, international undergrad students paying £16,250, you know, 
And master students are paying just so much more than that. People are putting themselves into lifetimes worth of debt. You get uh, 20 weeks of contact time during the year. And a lot of people don't feel as though, you know, their lecturers represent or reflect their experiences, that their courses aren't dealing with material that is relevant to them or that allows them to really be critical or creative in the way that they approach real world, world issues. There's so many problems with the education system as it stands. I think the strike has really highlighted that. But I think we should also take this opportunity to think more creatively around how we can create an education system that works and suits our needs and is accessible to everybody and is just doesn't really replicate and reinforce the structural inequality that it currently does. I was just going to say to directly answer your question as well, although um, those are really wonderful sentiments from Nisha and Dimitri. Um, Sorry, Nisha and Mehdi, (laughs) not Dimitri. Shit, sorry, my bad. But Seven months into the year. (laughs) No, I've never done that before. Get the names right. But yeah, following the most recent UGM, there's going to be a consultation underway um, in which people try and figure out how to get your fees back. Um, so with success, um, you'll get your money back. But like considering management's current position, it's, it doesn't seem quite likely. But that's why campaigns are effective and pressure is needed and action is needed. Um, it won't happen just by asking. Um, so yeah, get involved, ask. Hopefully there'll be some communications out soon. Okay, so those are kind of all the the main questions that we had. We did have one question about um, why do you think people at SOAS see capitalism and neoliberalism as such a negative thing all the time? We're going to park that question until episode 10. (laughs) Um, Well, we're kind of really running over time. I think maybe it would be good if we kind of we can. I actually think it's a very interesting question really, in general. Yeah, I think it's just very much a no. Yeah, but I actually think we could also kind of talk about it more at length in like another. I think we could start up a reading group, yeah. and we could mm. read that's capital, and then we could <laughs> learn why capitalism and neoliberalism are bad. Cool. I'd be happy to organize that. Volume one next. Alrighty. Time, so. <laughs> um, cool. But yeah, so we're in the holidays right now. Um, term three is coming up, although there's not really any classes for term three, so it's not really term three. <laughs> Keep an eye out for other events that are coming up. We've got a new public bike repair stand. By the way, this is just, I'm just moving into other information. <laughs> got a public bi- bike repair stand, which is kind of a stand where you can kind of fix your bike, got all the tools attached to it, as well as a pump. We're going to have an unveiling for that coming up soon, as well as some kind of, you know, bike maintenance courses, that kind of thing. I guess... In terms, just to kind of wrap up what we were saying earlier in terms of the strikes and the UGM and that kind of thing, again, this has kind of opened up a lot of debate around around the issues at hand, around what solidarity looks like, around who we should ha- be having solidarity with, how that decision is being made. These are all like really important questions. And it is still like an ongoing discussion and debate. And it's actually been really interesting to kind of see people engaging with this and to ha- be having this conversation out loud uh, and very publicly. So I think we can continue to have this conversation. It's very much not a kind of closed book. As has been mentioned in this episode, SU has an open door policy. Come in and speak to us. Um, email us, you know, write write to us if you want. And we can, again, talk about it in our next episode or in a kind of future open meeting if it comes to that kind of thing. But yeah, so kind of onwards 
marching through the year. Lucky that it's summer is kind of starting to be in the air now. We've got a kind of hint of it coming today, which is really welcome and, and great. But yeah, really good luck to everybody who's currently writing their essays and their dissertation and starting to prepare for exams. We just kind of wish you well. And we're just uh, here in the SU trying our best. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, we really are. So, yeah. A new tagline, trying our best. Trying our best. No, but, it, it, but it's true, you know. Um, so we're just really trying our best and, yeah, making the decisions that we think are best. Um, With your input. <laughs> Democratically, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so, anyway, okay, bye. 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 bye.